You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, good morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Bob Carvella. I serve as one of the elders here at Liberty Church, and I also serve as associate pastor for congregational care. And it's my pleasure to be uh, bringing the Word of God to you today. Uh, Let me also say, uh, be another one to say Happy Mother's Day. And particularly, uh, one of the neat things over the course of the last several months, we've had a run of uh, babies born to first-time moms. So for a number of us here at Liberty, a number of the women here at Liberty, this is their very first Mother's Day, which is really special. So uh, special Mother's Day, Happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, Hope that this is the first of many, many more in the years to come. Um, This morning, we're going to be looking at Genesis 1. Uh, If you're not uh, familiar with the Bible, uh, Genesis is the first book in the Bible, So if you're using one of the black hardcover Bibles there, you can find Genesis 1 on page 1. It was several months ago that the elders discussed what sermon series we would do after we finished the series on Philippians. And after a while, and kicking kicking around a few ideas, uh, we landed on the series that we started last week on the goodness of God. As Matt mentioned last week, if there's an area where people tend to have some doubts, it's usually not so much in the area of the greatness of God as it is the goodness of God. So we thought that a topical study on the goodness of God would be a helpful reminder of the great truths we see in Scripture about the goodness of God and how we've seen that play itself out in the life of our church. And to be sure, we have seen the goodness of God in our midst, whether it's celebrating our 10th anniversary earlier this year, or the 19 Bible studies that studied Acts and Philippians through the fall and spring, and that continue to meet uh, to study, uh, talk about this series, and also to talk about the book Gentle and Lowly. Um, Those are all great things. And another one is, in case you haven't noticed, Our church is teeming with children. Uh, There are many churches, really, really good churches, that would love to have the problem of what to do about children running in the halls. A number of those young children completed the gospel class last week, and we look forward to welcoming a number of them uh, to to the communion table in the weeks to come. And as you saw this morning, we've continued to have more babies, and we've dedicated babies, and we've baptized babies. All around us, we see the evidence of God's goodness. Little did we know, however, that in these early weeks of this series, two of our dear families would experience the deaths of loved ones. Two others would face unexpected surgeries. Others would experience the real potential for job loss and others, a continued season of not being able to find a job or find the right job or even to have a good sense of direction about their lives. Still others would endure seasons of intense pain, be it physical or emotional. It's as if Satan himself grabbed our church by the proverbial scruff of our neck 
jammed our face into these situations and said, where is your good God now? In the coming weeks, we'll dig deeply into these hard situations, which would cause any of us to question God's goodness. Uh, Let me just say, though, that I'm here today, and Matt and other brothers will be here in the coming weeks to declare unequivocally and without reservation, our good God is here. But before we get to those hard questions, we first have to lay a foundation. We must start with the fundamental question, is there such a thing as goodness? And if so, where does it come from? What is the source of goodness? That's what we'll be looking at together this morning. And to do that, we have to go back to the beginning, the very beginning. Please follow along with me as I read from God's holy word, Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. 
And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord, be present with us this morning. Remove the scales from our eyes so that we may see more clearly your goodness. And in seeing, may we give you all praise and glory and honor. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This morning, I'd like us to look at the source of God's goodness from three standpoints. The source of God's goodness in creation, the source of God's goodness in providence, and the source of God's goodness in redemption. First, the source of God's goodness in creation. God did not have to create the world. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, a collection of questions and answers about the nature of God and how he works in the world, the answer to the question, what is God, is this. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Nothing in that answer is dependent on there being a creation. God is, and always has been, and always will be, all of those things, whether or not he spoke the creation into being. But he did create the world, and he did so for a whole host of reasons, to display his glory and majesty and dominion and power and as well to communicate his goodness to men and women. You remember the constant refrain through the creation week, 
and God saw that it was good. And then we come to the climax on the sixth day, and we read God saw everything that he had made, and it was very good. Truly, as we read in Psalm 33, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. We often look at Genesis 1 and try to crack the code of how God did it, over what time frame and that sort of thing. Were they six 24-hour days or at longer periods of time? Was there some sort of God-directed evolutionary process involved? Those are important and significant questions, and to be honest with you, far above me. Um, But for our purposes this morning, we're going to treat the creation narrative as a picture book and not a puzzle book. Not a riddle to be solved, but a narrative in which our good God speaks into existence his good creation. And we see his ultimate plan to defeat sin and Satan begin to take shape. So it is here in Genesis 1 where we have that picture of God's goodness. He starts on day one with day and night. On day two, he creates heaven. And then on day three, he creates dry land and seas. And we hear the refrain again and again, and it was good, and it was good. But he was just getting started. As day three continues, we see the beginning of living things, plants and fruit-bearing trees. On day four, he begins to fill the spaces that he created on the first three days with even more goodness. So on day four, he creates the sun and moon and stars to rule over the day and night. And it was good. I remember when I was maybe 13 or 14, uh, I was at Boy Scout summer camp. It was nighttime, and we all were playing this game of capture the flag. 150 or 200 Boy Scouts spread out over 265 acres of the camp playing capture the flag. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) At some point, I got tired or more likely bored with the whole thing, and just decided to lay down in the field to take a break for a while. Little did I know that that night was a meteor shower. And so for maybe the next half hour, I laid there and watched the most spectacular fireworks display I had ever seen. I don't remember much about my days as being a Boy Scout, but I remember that night. Did God need to create meteor showers as a part of his creation? Of course not. But he did. And oh, are they good. He continued then on day five to fill the oceans with fishes and the sky with birds. And not just one kind of fish or one kind of bird. He could have done that and that would have been amazing. Can any of us speak into existence a fish or a bird? He could have stopped with one, but he didn't. According to National Geographic, there are 32,000 species of fishes, and that's just what we know today. According to the National Ocean Service, nearly 80% of the Earth's oceans remain unmapped, unobserved, and unexplored. The only one who sees those fishes is God himself, and he takes delight in them. He declares them good. And the skies, there's more than 10,000 species of birds, from ostriches to orioles, from penguins to pelicans. So, so good. And then we come to day six, wild animals and livestock. 
rhinos and roosters, cougars and cows, and creeping things and crawling things. I won't name them. And finally, man, and from man, woman. And God looked at it all and said, this is very good. This is exactly the way I want it to be. One of the sad things I've realized about growing old is that to a great extent, I've lost my sense of wonder. A flowering dogwood tree, the first robin of spring, or around here, the beauty of the Susquehanna River and the yellow breeches, or the majesty of the North Ridge or the South Mountain. Been there, done that, lost the t-shirt a long time ago. Many of us grow dull to the wonder and the beauty, the bounty God has provided for us in creation. Do you ever hear birds chirping in the morning and really listen to them? Do you notice flowers blooming? Maybe you see deer from your front porch. For us, it's bunnies and squirrels. Maybe you see roses or tulips or the apple and peach trees as they begin to flower. The sheer beauty, the sheer goodness of creation is right there in front of us each and every day. Listen to this wonderful paragraph from G.K. Chesterton. He writes this, Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. (laughs) For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It's possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be an automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. The repetition in nature may not be a mere recurrence. It may be a theatrical encore. For any of you who are parents or have good enough memories to remember when you were kids, you know this is true. I'm guessing all of you who have ever been parents have hit upon some game or fun activity that you do with your toddlers. Maybe something like peekaboo or flipping your kids over or whatever the case may be. And you'd hear over and over and over again, do it again, mommy. Do it again, daddy. Do it again. Maybe your legs start to go numb. Your back stiffens. And any one of a hundred reminders that you aren't as young as you used to be. And yet you'd hear again, again, again. And you'd do it again. Children are the ones with the capacity for monotonous delight in the good gifts of creation. We are the ones whose eyesight has grown old and dim. In short, as Christians, we can tend to assume creation, which is why we lose our awe and wonder. This morning, stop assuming creation and regain your awe. See God as the source of goodness in creation. Oh God, give us eyes to eyes of a child once again that we might see the goodness of your creation. Second, we see God's goodness in providence. 
The God who did not have to uh, speak the creation into existence did not have to remain engaged in creation. God's goodness was so abundantly on display at the end of day six that he could have simply rested, not just on day seven, but for all eternity. He could have said, here is my creation. It's exactly the way I want it. End of story. But that's not the end of the story. His goodness did not stop after the sixth day of creation. He's not some deistic God that simply wound up a clock and then just let it run its course. No, we read in Scripture of a God who actively cares for His creation. He preserves both man and beast. He opens His hand to supply the desire of every living thing. He has not left Himself without witness, Paul says, for He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. He cares enough for the animals that He decreed in the Ten Commandments that even the cattle get a day off. He provides for the crying ravens and the hungry lion. For those of you who remember the Lion King, Mufasa and Simba and Nala, do not eat on account of some quasi-mystical, impersonal circle of life. They eat because God gives them food. And think of all the ways God provides beyond the world of nature. He gives us his law that we might know how to love and serve him and how to live at peace with one another. He institutes government for the protection of life and the promotion of justice. He restrains human wickedness. He gives us his word as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. He guides all our steps and works all things after the counsel of his will. Truly, the Lord is good to all. And tender mercies are over all his works. But even that's not all. We read in Genesis 1.28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God packed into his creation all kinds of goodness, all sorts of wonderful discoveries, and then gave men and women the task of working the ground and uncovering all of the earth's potential, with God's hand guiding us to unlock all the beauty and glory of his creation. We see this begin to play out in the latter portion of Genesis 4, just a few chapters later. Cain, who is more famous or infamous for murdering Abel, he built a city. His great-great-great-great-grandson Jabal was the father of agriculture. Jabal's brother Jubal was the father of arts and music. And their cousin Tubal-Cain was a forger, the father of craftsmen and tradespeople. And it continues to this day. Whether it's a Beethoven symphony or the swing of Benny Goodman or our very own Mariah Kern, playing in the piano extravaganza last Sunday for the very first time. Each of these are opportunities for us to proclaim, God is good. Or maybe it's the delight of Ron and Dee Staley as they go go careening uh, on their bicycles on a local rails-to-trails path. Or as Jordan Munoz or Catherine Yoder help young people create wonderful pieces of art. Maybe for some it's watching Steph Curry hit three-pointers from the logo. 
or a determined goal line stand in football, or a perfectly executed hit and run in baseball, though I still have a few questions about the universal designated hitter. Uh, Yet and still, God is good. Or think about the medical breakthroughs that have brought an end to polio and smallpox and have uncovered new ways to treat cancer or a host of other conditions that used to rob people of so much of life and even life itself. Just one example of how this has worked itself out in just one of our sisters here at Liberty. Hundreds of years ago, God allowed researchers to understand how sound works. Other researchers began to understand the inner workings of the ear and how the brain processes sound. At the same time, scientists and engineers made advances in electrodes and then microelectrodes. As time went by, all of those divergent streams of research and advancement began to come together to address the issue of hearing loss. At one time, those who were hard of hearing The best they could do was hold a large megaphone up to their ear. But God allowed more and more breakthroughs to occur so that at the 8.30 service this morning, Gail Penney, she was here. She went more than 10 years with absolutely no hearing in her left ear. But a few months back, she received a cochlear implant, and now she can hear God's Word preached again. I could go on. Many of you have benefited in ways similar to Gail. Cancers have, been, have disappeared. Um, joints have been replaced. In my lifetime, it was unthinkable to replace a joint. This week, Ed Reif is having his hip replaced. Timmy Hearn is having her shoulder replaced. It's almost as if those are routine surgeries now. How good is that? Laura Lipscomb had her second go-round with a brain tumor. She's driving again. How good is that? At the same time, we also know that some of you have different stories than Gail's of loved ones who did not or have not benefited from a medical breakthrough. In coming weeks, we'll look more closely at that in the context of God's goodness. But for today, praise God that his goodness has been evident in allowing us to uncover so much goodness of his creation. Just as we take the goodness of creation for granted, we also tend to assume providence, that all of the good advancements that we've seen happened because they happened, which makes us functional deists. So please, this morning, stop assuming providence. See God as the source of all those good advancements and cultivate um, a spirit of gratitude and dependence. Lastly, our third point, God's goodness in redemption. The God who had no need of creating the world and who had no need of preserving it had even less need of redeeming it. Look with me at Genesis 3. I won't read the verses that uh, describe man's fall, but in essence, Satan was questioning God's goodness. He was telling Adam and Eve that God was holding out on them, that he was not making available to them all the goodness that he had. And so Adam and Eve fell. How would God respond? We see his response in Genesis 3, starting at verse 14. 
The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall remain. Yes, throughout Genesis 3, in that portion there, we see the curses pronounced on the serpent and on Adam and on Eve for what they did. But even in the midst of that darkest of days, we see God's goodness as well. First of all, God came to Adam and Eve. He could have sent an angel to do his bidding, or he could have simply executed his justice from afar, uh, bringing them both to death. But God came to them. For those of you who are reading Gentle and Lowly, one of the things you'll see Dane Ortland make over and over again, one of the points he'll make, is that the natural inclination of God in the person of Jesus Christ is to approach sinners in their desperation and need. And here we see God approaching Adam and Eve in their shame and nakedness. Yes, to pronounce curses on them for what they did, but in the midst of those curses, to bring them hope as well. In the midst of the curses God pronounces on Eve, we see that she will continue to bear children, though now through great pain. But God did not bring an end to humanity, and and the joy of holding your newborn baby continues. In the midst of the curses we see on Adam, we see God's promise that food will continue to be provided, though now through toil and hard work. And later, though Adam and Eve are banished from the garden, they are not separated from each other. And though their relationship and all marriage relationships to follow will experience the effects of sin, they nevertheless will still go through life together. He covered Adam and Eve's nakedness and shame by clothing them at the expense of animals that he himself created. And while death is introduced by Adam and Eve's fall into sin, their deaths were not immediate. There was no reason for God to do any of this. He would have been no less good if he executed his justice right then and there. And throughout the pages of Scripture, man continued to give God every reason to bring an end to the ruin that man was causing to his creation. From the idolatry of the golden calf to the rebellion in the wilderness and the false prophets and faithless kings that led Israel astray and to the evil of Golgotha, there was an utter lack of deserving on the part of God's people. After multiple provocations, there was no reason for God to initiate a plan of redemption. 
And there was no reason outside of his own covenant faithfulness for him to carry it through to completion. There was no reason for him to help us. But because of his goodness, he did help us. And in verse 15, that plan of redemption is introduced. A redeemer is promised. And in that redeemer, Jesus Christ himself, the goodness of God is revealed in all of its fullness. To those who receive the forgiveness of sins, God's goodness is revealed as grace. Grace that can only be found in Christ. To those who receive God's kindness, God's goodness is revealed as loving kindness or mercy. Mercy that can only be found in Jesus. God's goodness is revealed as love when God shares himself with his creatures. And goodwill or good pleasure when his goodness and all of its benefits are recognized as a free gift. A gift that can only be found in Christ. Christ is the good shepherd who would risk everything to find and rescue one lost sheep. He's the gentle healer, bringing healing to many. He's the wonderful counselor, bringing rest to all who are weary and heavy laden. He's the mighty God, the one who created all things and who holds all things together. He's the everlasting Father who is one with our Heavenly Father and who takes away our guilt and sin so that we would, could once again uh, experience God's fatherly heart. He's the Prince of Peace who paid the full penalty for our sins so that we could be at peace with God and be at peace with one another. He is Jesus Christ. He's the source of goodness for all who place their faith and trust in him. This morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, stop assuming goodness and be awakened again to see that God is the true source of goodness in creation through his providence and caring for his creation and of allowing humans to uncover more and more of his goodness and in the redemption of his world and his people through Jesus Christ. But what about those who do not follow Jesus? Is God's goodness only reserved for his followers? If that describes any of you here today, I'd like to close our time by talking to you. You see, unless you recognize God as the true source of goodness, the only alternative available is that goodness is a product of humanity's efforts, that it's up to you to create and sustain good in the world and in your life. But the reality is that we think way too highly of ourselves. The same medical research that produced cochlear implants and artificial hips also led to the human medical experiments and gas chambers of Nazi Germany and to, and to methods to terminate human life in the womb. The same process that, that created beautiful movies such as To Kill a Mockingbird or The Lord of the Rings trilogy has also been used to create horrible images of child pornography. We overestimate our ability to do good and underestimate our ability to do evil. And yet, God is still good to you. In Romans 2, Paul writes this, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? In the exercise of his goodness, God displays patience and forbearance with the world and patience and forbearance to you, 
you who are not following Jesus right now. He gives you each new day as a gift. He provides for all of your needs. He allows the sun to shine on you and the rain to fall as well. He provides breathtaking sunrises and stunning sunsets for you to enjoy as well. He shows you his goodness. He shows you his kindness for the purpose of leading you to repentance so that you would turn away from sin and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. As we read in 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let me plead with you to stop assuming goodness in your life And look to God as the source of goodness. And not just the source, but your source. Consider today the good things you have in your life. Eyesight, hearing, taste, food and drink, a place to live, clothes to wear, a brain that thinks and comprehends. Recognize that those good things and so much more are gifts from a God who loves you and who does not want you to die, but wants you to live and to live eternally with him. Receive Jesus today. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the awesome beauty of your creation, for all the good advancements you have enabled humans to discover through your kind providence, and for the great work of redemption you have accomplished in Jesus Christ. Give each of us here this morning eyes to see and ears to hear and lips to tell just how good. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.